Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today on the show, we're going to talk about the documentary We Need to Talk About Cosby from comic director W. Kamal Bell. I'm excited to talk about this. Not exactly excited about what happened to Dr. Huxtable from back in the day. Good Lord. Yeah, I mean, Cosby is is our era, you and I. Like, we grew Mm -hmm. up watching Cosby, so... Among a lot of other things he did. A lot of other things he did, not to mention, of course, him being a major influence on comedians and and for a long, long time, and and still considered one of the greatest comedians that we've ever had, so... I think that's what made, made this for many of us who watched it mm-hmm. so different than any other true crime series because many of us grew up loving him. Yeah. It's the watching your heroes fall. Yeah. Kind of I mean, I guess Michael Jackson would be the other one, right? Yeah, absolutely. The same era for us anyway. Like also the an same, icon. Also an icon for sure. So this series is called, we need to talk about Cosby. It came out this year in 2022 the director explores uh, Cosby's life and work, uh, weighing his actions against the indisputable influence that he's had over every everyone, and also, of course, the cultural connotations of what happened to him, his crimes, the personal encounters. There was a ton of interviews. It's a four-part series. It's on... Uh, you can buy it on Prime or Vudu. It's also on Paramount+. Plus. It, and Showtime as part of the subscription. I think you can also buy it on Apple TV, but it's really good. I I recommend it. Did you? Excuse me. It's I'm a sorry. four. It's four episodes. It was excellent. Yeah. I so thought. as far as the a documentary to to watch and worth it, and the f- I think the four episodes were used really well. You know, a lot of times we say on the show, "Ugh, too long." Didn't need that much, but these four episodes were packed with. A lot of discussion, a lot of commentary, and and I found it enjoyable in that way. And I learned a lot, too, because I'm not coming from the perspective of being part of the black community. Right. There were a lot of people speaking to the cultural connotations of of what this did. I really liked that, and I liked the fact that the survivors got a voice. They, you know, we know as psychologists, as clinicians, the the reparation, how reparative it can be to tell your story this way and be listened to and, and for people to have a whole other perspective of who he was, I think for a lot of these people. And I know that they asked a lot of people who decided to not, and that's obviously fine as well. Um, but there were a handful of them that were able to tell their stories. Yeah. And although I, I knew just from being a person on the planet, I knew what was going on with Cosby in general. I had not dug into many of the details. And so Whereas I am not the type of person that likes to read the news all every day, all day and have like the breaking moments of horribleness in our culture. Uh, I, I really appreciated, I really appreciate being told a story. Let's put it that way. And I think a lot of people do. That's why true crime documentaries are so popular. That's why movies are so popular. Tell me a story, tell me the story and tell me from your vantage point. And I thought the vantage point that he chose was very uh, personal, you know, like it was a really personal exploration of, of Bill Cosby's really his descent from being America's dad to being an alleged you know, at the time alleged, but now he's being convicted sexual predator. And so 
in our minds, that's what it looked like as if it was a descent because he was put on a pedestal and then now he's definitely off of that pedestal. But he was doing these things while we thought he was an America's dad. So it wasn't actually a descent. It was mm-hmm. a cover up. It was him being what I think is, you know, a brilliant comedian and 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 narcissist and made him a brilliant predator. 100%. He was very convincing and charming. And, you know, as we watch all of this, we see throughout the four episodes how much of that supply he was getting from being in the role of this heroic American father, as well as what appeared to be at the time. And and I, I would still safely say that although there was harm, he did effectively contribute to um, black education and the community. It's just that we find out that his motivations for that later on also some are problematic. And yeah, I, I don't know how you felt when you were watching this documentary, but it was like a, this is just tragic. I hated knowing this was the truth. Me too. It, it, I felt for, you know, they did address the the black communities, uh, individuals from um, the black community's perspective, you know, cultural commentators and journalists that were reporting on this and, speaking to it from a cultural context and that really touched me and I I felt it heavier than I had before which I think is an important piece of this documentary Uh, for those of us who are not from the same culture I think it is important for us to to feel that in whatever way we can not you know being other being not part of that community and not having that hero he was just one of many people that I admired on television he Mm -hmm. wasn't somebody that like I didn't want to be a part of the Cosme family I didn't want you know it wasn't that kind of of a thing for me and it what it sounded like is that many people that were interviewed in this documentary is that that was their inspiration for like I can be a doctor I can be part of a healthy family mm-hmm. I can have a healthy dad all of these things that they weren't maybe getting at home those kinds of inspirations and they, even all of the the strength and the education in the women on that show too mm-hmm. we were seeing that on the Cosby show before we were seeing that in white comedy, you mm-hmm. know, so all around, I think it was just this. And for, I mean, and for white people, it was really empowering because Absolutely. it was the eighties and you're watching this family who, like you said, is collectivistic and they support each other. And Claire was super educated and empowering. I mean, there's just so much to take from that show, but we know that he also, um, used his comedy and these all American values to make people feel safe. Yeah. I mean, that's what I mean about, you know, he's a, he was a brilliant comedian and, and, and all of the thing and a speaker, you know, there's a lot of clips, of course, a lot of speeches he gave. And in earlier days, they're very inspirational, you know, challenging the stereotypes of American black families that you know, being impoverished and incapable and dependent and all of those stereotypes that were very, very prevalent in the 80s. You know, he created this show where as the main character, he was able to, you know, challenge a lot of those ideas. And meanwhile, in his personal life, 
he was drugging women and abusing them sexually and raping them and having interviews on, while on the Cosby show, parading women into his dressing room, having basically having interviews for women that he wanted to do this to. So malignant narcissism is apparently one of the things we yes. probably have to talk yeah. about. <laughs> um, he, he, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was very good at creating a false sense of safety and security. Mm-hmm. He also used his power to make women feel indebted. Yes. And we know that that's something that narcissists do very well. There's this push pull between making you feel really high and then really low. And when they bring you down really low because they've made you feel so high mm-hmm. and what they're capable you know, of maybe doing for you that you become just very apologetic and shameful. And we also have to remember, although things haven't changed as much as we'd like, sex positivity was not a thing for women at that time. No. So you couldn't just look at somebody and say, you know, what women may feel that they can say a little bit more now in a position like that, but they, you know, if, if their story got out that they were even sleeping with him mm-hmm. or going, they would be considered, you know, climbing that casting couch, fucking their way to the top. Nobody would really be paying attention to the fact that he did something to get them there. So all of, I would say 95% of these women wake up from these drug induced states right. and they're apologizing. They're gaslighting themselves. Absolutely. And narcissists are really good at getting you to, second guess your reality Absolutely. and feel very shameful and it's like shame on you you know i i was just trying to help you you drank too much you drank too much and i just put you to bed yeah yeah that's all that happened that's all you remember mm-hmm. yeah unfortunately there's a lot here that is malignant narcissism and so what do we mean by that let's talk a little bit about that i know we've spoken about malignant narcissism a lot but we can we can break it down with what I saw in the mm-hmm. Cosby show and and I'm sure, you know, Kathy can weigh in. But, you know, they're generally speaking preoccupied with all of that fame, fortune, the way they're seen, power, success. And what we know from criminal pathology is that sexual assault is about power. And so once he became powerful, we don't have any at least I don't think there's any story about him doing any of this behavior before he was famous. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. I, I, that wasn't represented in the documentary Mm -hmm. and, and maybe he was this way beforehand, but it seems to be that his, his personality disorder certainly played right into the fact that he had an enormous amount of power. And remember that this is before the internet. There's no online calling people out. You know, now something like this happens and there's a video immediately on TikTok. I mean, we've just been watching Adam Levine, you know, be dragged through all of that because of what he has done to people. And Army Hammer too. Been a philanderer. But Mm. I, I believe he is a philanderer he's we're not saying he's done anything at the level of what Cosby has done but of course I don't know him so I can't speak to that but my example is just that if these had been happening at a point where every single one of us has a platform to put people on blast and expose them it would have been a very different thing so Mm -hmm. for sure 
But yeah, I mean, going back to the malignancy part, like you said, this isn't someone who's just has, you know, heightened sense of defenses and arrogant. This is someone who there's a level of sadism yes. involved. And when we think about, you know, the difference between your garden variety narcissist who just has, you know, a lack of ego strength and really is just, you know, incredibly defensive and emotionally stunted, you're now adding a level of, of, you know, rule breaking, law breaking, sadistic types of things where they, they know what they're doing and they're doing it intentionally, whether it's the risk of getting away with it, whether it's feelings of limitlessness, lack of remorse. Yeah, omni omnipotence, right? Omnipotence. Yes. Know everything, That's know everything right. about you. I imagine he had an incredible, has an incredible sense of being able to meet you and immediately knowing how to manipulate sure. you and what you want to hear. I also think too, when we talk about his trajectory over time, because they don't give us a lot of his psychology before, no. but what we do see and whether, and, and here there's one of two things. If you want to look at this theory I'm about to present, either there was a level of situational narcissism that continued to grow the, the bigger, the more famous he became, or while things were working in his favor and he was getting enough of that supply, he was able to uphold that proverbial mask, mm -hmm. right? Because as he starts to age, and new black comedians come in and start to talk about different things and present differently. No longer is he really an advocate for the black community. Right. He now starts to flip and we see a mask drop yeah. where he becomes this angry, curmudgeon, aggressive, hostile. All the self-hatred and shame starts just to be to projected dump. out to everybody. And That's he was, right. as long as he was getting his, uh, I think what you're saying, as long as he was getting his supply from these assaults, honorary doctorate, when that stopped, you know, he was getting his supply from all of this fame and fortune, but also he was getting this power supply from all of his That's assaults. Right. And then once, once that was, once that funnel was shut down because of Andrea Constance's initial discussion or claims uh, about what he had done. And then that started off this whole chain of events and, and also like the me too movement and all, you know, it just kind of rippled from there. And then all these people started coming forward. And then there was, you know, this comedian in 2014 that came on a black comedian that came mm -hmm. on stage and, that talked, was like the smoking gun. It was and talked about. And so now we have the internet. So of course there's this blogger that was there, puts it on the internet. It goes viral. This clip of this comedian talking about Bill Cosby being a rapist. And then, and then here we are. So that supply gets cut off, right? The assaults, the fame, fortune, the admiration. And then what do we know about narcissism is it's like when that supply gets cut off or when they feel shame, they're going to spew that all over everybody around them. And so he started doing it to um, specifically his own community. That's right. And the self, the self hatred and shame just was so obvious. I mean, we also know too, awful. though, with narcissism, they get worse with age. Oh yeah, he certainly did. Yeah. I think what also was triggered a lot of the trauma was how easy it was for him to be released from his sentence too. Mm -hmm. 
Um, well, I mean, the first charges that Andrea, you know, he came up against, he it was just like dismissed, basically. Yeah. I mean, there were just there's so many pieces of the actual case, right? That are, you know, the first trial they would only let her testify. They, the the second one, the second time he was convicted or had charges, they would only let five people um, testify. And at that point, they had 13 people that had come forward. Now there's over 60 or 90 or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And the amount of people that were actually involved in the court case is small compared to the amount of people that he, because a lot of the charges were uh, statute of limitations had run out. And that's why they chose that's originally right. the Andrea case yeah. because she was a Canadian and the statute of limitations did, hadn't run out on that. I always so. tell my clients, I'm like, there's always a loophole. You just got to find it. <laughs> it's got to find it. Yeah. Get good lawyers. Yeah. Uh, but that took a lot of time and she ended up settling, but it's like, yeah. I mean, my goodness. So, but with narcissism, so, you know, preoccupied with fame and fortune and, and brilliance and success and power and all that mm -hmm. stuff. And I imagine that's part of the reason why he sought the career that he did, mm -hmm. uh, is to be an influence, right? Uh, unable to handle cr criticism. That's what we're kind of talking about. And of course the tendency to lash out when they feel slighted. Yeah. Yes. Also very good at, um, attacked creating whatever identity he needed to create to mm -hmm. be now some of it I know is also like when you're marginalized in order to be accepted in society, there's a part of your true self that needs to be compromised. Mm -hmm. So if we were talking about somebody healthyish, yes, then that would be true. But I think for him, he was very savvy at becoming, you know, what he thought people wanted to see. And mm -hmm. so, you know, even they, they described him as colorless, mm, right? Like yeah. he wasn't a threat to the white community because of how his comedy was and the position that he took. So he, although well, he did a lot of destigmatizing some of the, the black tropes and all that, he was still safe enough to the white community mm -hmm. that he was getting on all these shows and being loved by white America. Yeah. Um, so he really knew how to work his way around that. I mean, I think narcissists in general have that. Um, exactly. They will take advantage of any situation, any person, any institution, any organization to get what they want. And they're extremely good at it. Mm -hmm. So he basically conned the American public. Right. And all the way down, you know, I would argue his wife, all the people he met, his cast members, you know, the Hollywood industry, the and then each individual person that he took advantage of and harmed. It's like, right. as well as betraying the black community, betraying the American community, you know, all of that. And, you know, narcissists get away with that in a lot of ways, not only because of the power that this particular person had, but you know, their, their concern with being bright because they usually are bright, educated, good looking, all of those things are things that we as a culture admire value. Mm -hmm. So we play into that. If people have those pieces of a puzzle, we are more likely to be taken advantage of them by them. Right. And it, even a bunch of people said in this documentary, you know, it was Bill Cosby. Yeah. He invited me to his house. It's Bill Cosby. He's America's daddy safe. I'm going to go. Yeah. And so he had curated this very successful image, this very moralistic, you know, they tell you, well, you weren't allowed to cuss on the set. Right. You weren't allowed to use curse words right. on the set. Right. 
I was watching um something with uh, this actor John Amos who I who I think is great. Oh, he yeah. And he was on he was on Cosby Show a little bit and but didn't you know become friends with him or anything. But he he spoke to the fact that like you know oh, I think I I used a cuss word one time on the set and uh, Felicia Rashad sort of came up to me. You know everything went kind of quiet and I didn't know what happened. Like I'm like what does my fly open? What's going on? And Felicia Rashad kind of came up to him and whispered in his ear like oh we don't use those kinds of words here. Yeah, just oh. this kind of thing. So he had that whole thing pretty controlled you know and if you've ever been with a narcissistic personality or had one in your intimate life you walk on eggshells with your behavior because at any moment you're going to be criticized for not being correct or right right or doing things the right way things that you don't do in a perfect mirror image to the narcissist are going to be pointed out. So if the narcissist puts the silverware into the dishwasher in a particular way and you don't mirror that, your way is wrong and then you will be hyper-criticized for that and punished emotionally. Mm -hmm. That's a small, tiny example, but probably an example some of you could relate to. It's something, you know, little things like that, like around your home. If you're a kid, it's around your house. You know, you drop the pen on the couch. And even though nothing happened on the couch and there's no mark, you get yelled at because there could have been a mark. You should not be using a pen on the couch. And then it's like you are vilified and treated terribly and made to cry if you're a kid, mm-hmm. of course, sometimes as an adult. But because they just lack that empathy for you. Mm-hmm. And there's an expectation that they're superior to you. These are all kind of malignant narcissistic traits. Mm-hmm. That inflated sense of self, you know, remorse is sort of a thing that's not really there. And no mm-hmm. interest in apologizing. You know, we all apologize too much, especially as Americans. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. I mean, you just say it like instinctually. And I think I'm, I'm trying to do less of that, honestly. I think it's a really good habit to get out of. Oh, you, yeah, there are people that overly apologize. We've all had clients that do that, too. I've had clients, they'll sneeze in session, they'll apologize. I'm mm-hmm. like, what was that about? Yeah, you know, like, well, why, why are you apologizing? Let's talk about, about bless you. Yeah, let's talk about <laughs> that for a second. One of those other cultural know? norms, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I have a client that every time she sneezes, she apologizes to me, <laughs> and I'm like, let's have a conversation about that. Like, Yeah, and I mean, they just have this attitude of, you know, superiority and believing that they deserve the best. So, And they are convinced. I mean, convinced, like you've been around them, intimately convinced, like genuinely convinced you know, not everything is an act like this is their genuine nature. I've had them look me in the eye and literally say, I just don't make those kinds of mistakes. Mm -hmm. Like too complete. And and you're, you're fucking with me. And they're, they're looking at you like, no, I mean, I'm, I'm serious. Like if I said that to you, you would laugh because it would be funny. It's so absurd. (laughs) I would be being funny. Right. Yeah. Just don't make those, like, I just don't make mistakes (laughs) like that. Oh, okay. What? (laughs) Um, but, but this is that, that level, you know, we're talking about, think about narcissism amplified, add in some sadism Mm -hmm. and a lack of remorse and intentionality, you know, like we think about narcissists, garden variety, narcissism, where it becomes maladaptive. I mean, we all have a level of it. Most people, you know, in my profession, they'll ask me, do narcissists know what they're doing? And I say, they know what they're doing. They just may not understand the motivation for why they're doing it. When that changes is when someone becomes more malignant or sociopathic, 
then there's a level of intentionality and awareness that's there from a much more profound place versus your narcissist who's just incredibly reactive and defensive and then by default becomes abusive. Yes. These are people who like go out of their way to be abusive, yes. you know, and know yes. what they're doing. It's a different level of sophistication. Yeah. So we're talking about malignant narcissism, but then we also understand that we're with Cosby, you're laying off. I mean, obviously neither one of us has, yeah, uh, we can't diagnose him, but yeah, we're not diagnosing him specifically. We're just using as a, as a conversation leader to talk about narcissism and just behavior traits and behavior traits. So, and what we can, we're just making assumptions from what we know from these pieces of media that we've watched, but you know, they're not coming from a, a differentiated place because I've, I've worked with and known people who have healed from a certain amount of narcissism and 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 so those people will will have some of these qualities but they will be able to tell you that you know my lashing out or my tendency to blame others mm -hmm. or my bad behavior has always come from my weak sense of self yep. and my inability to feel a deeper empath empathy and I have to go to you as my therapist or my trusted loved ones and gut check because I struggle with right. empathy and I struggle knowing how to handle criticism and I lash out when that happens. Now I'm doing a lot better than I used to. Right. But I'm, but those are, they'll be able to see, see how different Level of awareness, see how aware that sounds. See how like self knowledgeable, there was some self searching that happened mm -hmm. to get to that place. This is not that. <laughs> yeah. There's Cosby the still denies all charges. That's right. By the way, complete rigidity. <laughs> Yeah, because like we we say, you know, there is that spectrum and there are what we call either flexible or aware narcissists that can do work if they keep working. Yeah. If there's that love, but if you don't have insight, if you don't have awareness, if you don't have accountability, if there's no self-reflection, you're screwed. Absolutely. And so is everyone in your life around you. They're more screwed than you are as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. And let me tell you guys one one last thing before we, we wrap this up, because uh, this has played out in, in my life quite a bit, is that one of those, it's not subtle necessarily because it's pretty obvious, but one of those things we don't think about is if you have someone in your life, and I, I, I've I have a couple of people that come to mind, a friend's mother and and someone in my family. If you have people in your life that tend to monopolize conversations uh, to the point where and you'll and as if you are a therapist, you'll you'll feel this as well. If you have people or clients that monopolize the conversation now, obviously, people come to therapy to speak. But what I'm thinking is and then you feel because my psychodynamic orientation takes into it takes very strongly into account how others make me feel it's very relationship relational so i have to be very tapped into myself to mm -hmm. to do my work and so if i feel numb or i feel tired and i every time i'm sitting with a client i want to sort of fall asleep with this client i'm being wiped out emotionally in other words and I don't mean wiped out like I'm actually tired. I mean wiped away. I mean I'm invisible in the room. Yes. I'm being made to be a mirror 
and I'm being absorbed in the psyche. Now, this is metaphoric. Obviously, I'm still sitting there with my heels on. <laughs> Where'd you but, go, Shannon? But I'm being metaphorically and psychodynamically and mythologically absorbed by them. They're trying to numb me to the point of manipulation so that they can continue to manipulate and and continue with the facade of me not knowing who they truly are. So if I feel numb, if I feel numbed out, if I don't really remember pieces of the conversation, because I'm a therapist, I'm a pretty good listener and a pretty good tracker. I track people's behavior. So those, and if you're not a therapist and you're in your life and you have people that monopolize those kinds of conversations and numb you out, well, take a look at that Mm -hmm. and just understand that I'm not saying they're Bill Cosby. We're more talking about narcissism in general. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he was a lecturer. So, yes. <laughs> put that on your, put it out in your hat and think about it. But anyway, thanks for stopping by for this conversation. We both recommend the documentary very highly. So I would say if you have had it on your list and you haven't checked it out, check it out because it's pretty good. It is. All right. Thanks so much for listening. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.